Today on the pod, we talk about what makes Doug Logan tick. For me, I had a lot of passion, but no plan. I love people, but not paperwork. We learn about important things to do. The, the key thing is pace. Pace. Pace is so important. Mm. Take your time. Take your time. And not to do. Don't get fixated on having the perfect church. Get fixated on preaching the perfect Savior. But one quick disclaimer. Some of them are. Don't, I'm just generalizing. I'm painting with a roller, not even a broad brush. So don't tweet me. This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, managing the business of your church so you can focus on the ministry. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. We've got some event news we want to let you know about. There will be a church planting summit hosted at Covenant Theological Seminary with Mission to North America Church Planting Together for God's Kingdom, Collaborating, Connecting, Catalyzing. It will be Monday, October the 17th through Wednesday, October the 19th. Join brothers and sisters from all over the country to work together for the advancement of God's kingdom in a culture in crisis. Planters and their wives, network leaders, and ministry leaders are welcome. For more information, please visit pcamna.org. We'd love to see you there. And just a quick heads up, this is part one of a two-part interview. You can check out part two next week. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We are so glad that you are listening We're thankful for everyone who joins us on a regular basis. Please continue to share the word. Our guest today is Doug Logan, church planter, author, and a really all-around great and funny guy. We are so glad that he can join us and speak some wisdom into this uh, Five Points podcast. Doug, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, man, so good to be here, man. Glad to be here. So, Tell us briefly about your background and your call to ministry. Well, man, I was born and raised in Patterson, New Jersey. I'm an old head. I was born in 1970, so I'm a bootleg 70s baby. Got a bunch of sisters. I'm the only boy and the youngest. So I grew up sort of like a mama's boy, but I had a good mama, so that made me a good mama's boy. And um, in the hood of North Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey, went on to move to South Jersey, then to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I did. 10th, 11th, 12th, and then on to Greensboro, North Carolina for undergrad um, at a and I didn't finish, but I loved it there. And so then from there, man, born and raised. So that was my natural flow. My born and raised from a supernatural perspective, 1996, the Lord saved me one Wednesday night. I got married that next morning as I was living with my atheist girlfriend, she came to faith, I came to faith. We got up and drove to the justice of the peace and got married the next day. I said, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. I don't even know what that means, but I can't 
live with you no more as much as I love what we do. I'm not allowed, according to the Bible, no more. So we got to get married so we can keep this thing going. And she said, okay, let's go get married. And we did. I had been attending and began seriously attending um, a, a little National Baptist Church there in Burlington, New Jersey, South Jersey, where I owned a barbershop. And, you know, as I think about coming to faith, man, it was like um, my mother raised me as a, she was a church, she was a, a born again believer. She loved Jesus. And, um, and you know, she, we, we were, we were Christians from the hood. We went to church. Church was like dinner. It was a part of who we were. And so the, th so many things she taught me once Christ saved me, man, that stuff just started kicking back in in crazy, awesome ways. And then I can recall, I cut, we cut a lot of Christians. I hired a Christian, two Christians at my barbershop that I owned in South Jersey. And they cut preachers and deacons and all of that stuff. And they would be in there talking at Jesus talk and not, they would get on my nerves because I just wanted to wild out. And, um, but even then God was, you know, sprinkling gospel stuff in me. That's that illuminated in crazy ways as I came to faith, man, in 1996 and got married. And then um, born and raised again into pastoral ministry, received a call there in Burlington at that National Baptist Church in 1999. I candidated at some churches, experienced a little racism because my wife is white and um, from, mm. from some black churches and a little small white Plymouth Brethren Church took me, yeah, I was the first black member in a hundred years. And I was the pastor <laughs> in 2003. I took that church and that was inner city. It had, it used to be sort of nice. Then it was gangster killer, Latino, primarily Latino hood. So I was there for 03 to 08, went on to leave there, gave that building to a wonderful pastor who took that church. He's still there now. And um, I did residency under Dr. Eric Mason, who was my spiritual father and 10th Prez. Mm -hmm. under Phil Riken and Paul Tripp, 09. And then 2011, those two churches together, mm -hmm. late hands, sent me and my team of about 35 people to go plant in Camden, New Jersey. Good. That's, uh, that's Epiphany Fellowship that you planted in, in New Jersey? Yeah, Epiphany Fellowship of Camden. I was the first of what we call Enoch, Epiphany Network of Churches. Um, I was the first one of about 12 now, back in 2011. Tell, tell us a little bit about that kind of transition from what you were doing at the Plymouth Brethren Church and then coming under Eric Mason and Phil Reichen and those guys, just dynamite guys to, to be able to sit under. What kind of what led to you wanting to go out and plant the church there at Epiphany Fellowship? Well, for me, I had a lot of passion, but no plan. I love people, but not paperwork. Therefore, mm. I struggled with implementation, not inspiration. I was awful on information. <laughs> I was great with inspiration. And that mm. just tires people out and it doesn't actually move ministry. And so everybody liked me. So people had a hard time telling me I was awful because <laughs> I was nice and I led people to Jesus. However, mm. I was an awful implementer. And because it's inner city, it's not like I had a budget to hire somebody. I was full time at $13,000 a year. Mm. So I couldn't hire a executive pastor. I saw my white bros in the suburbs. They just hire XP. I didn't even know what that was. I had to Google that. 
they got an XP? What's an XP? Is he an ex-pastor? Is he not a Christian anymore? <laughs> and then found out he was an actual executive pastor. And um, I didn't, I wanted one of them things, but they didn't sell them in my hood. It's like a surfing, it's like a surfboard in the hood. They ain't for sale. And um, <laughs> so for me, I was like, bro. So I was just love Jesus, love people, love preaching, but I lack paperwork and plan. And so the transition for me was going to do the residency as I came into the PCA in 08 um, in the Philadelphia City Presbytery. So I learned a bunch of Presbyterianism from at 10th where dear brother who, I mean, one of my favorite humans on earth is uh, executive pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, then Marion Clark, and then, um, Paul Tripp and Phil Riken just loved on me. Phil was always so good to me. Just a good, cool dude. You know, he was always that perfect amount of product in his air with that part <laughs> perfect. And he just treated me good. And then Paul Tripp and his crazy self just treated me like a dear son and just adopted me, loved on me, him and his sweet wife. So they just took good care of me. And they began to tell me, Doug, we love your inspiration, but we got to fix up your information because you don't know how to lead stuff in a manner that's conducive to development and growth. So you, we got to tighten you up. So Mason tightened me up. I spent time to building a team. So the first thing Tim told me and Dr. Eric Mason said, you ain't planting without an executive pastor. So I went on my executive pastor search because um, I had learned how to raise a couple of dollars so I could buy this surfboard in the hood now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, aloha. <laughs> <laughs> so i was so that's what the transition was brother it was me building a team building a full orb inner city plan yeah. developing the network relationships with acts 29 um epiphany and then my two sending churches acts 29 um epiphany philly under dr eric mason and epiphany and 10th Presbyterian Church. So those were my priorities and establishing. So I met with the executive pastors of both churches. I found an executive pastor, um, good young dude. I had been cycling for many years. He came up under their tutelage. I came under them, learned and grew. And I was able to put some information and some inspiration together as a cohesive gospel full or plan for a 20 year vision to go to the hood and plant churches. So they added that executive understanding ministry to my mind, even though I wasn't doing it, I had a, I had an understanding of how it would work congruently into a full plan. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So Doug, you're already kind of talking about this, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper on this. So what are some of the other big takeaways from planting at Epiphany, things that you've learned from just being in the school of, just jumping in the deep end and figuring it out that you regularly share with other church planters, either in a similar situation or other church planters just trying to, that are just trying to make it. Well, I mean, I've got about 12 spiritual sons, guys I ordained, love, poured into, and a few, many of those are lead pastors and planters. We did a residency at Epiphany. So we bought the house next door to my house. Cats moved in and other cats did hybrids where they were coming in like Pastor Dave Rosa, who planted Cruciform Church in Florida through Spanish River, they were sending him to bang with me every now and again on a quarterly system where we were training. So it was all types of creative ways. So what I would say to, what I said to 
those spiritual sons of mine then and what I would say to the new guys now in which I serve in capacity of in Acts 29 is that is you need to understand one, the, the key thing is pace, pace. Pace is so important. I mean, you know, our, our core values and our brochure is like a false e-harmony profile. It's just not real. Like it's it's all hyperbole for the purpose of raising money. It's not real. Like yep. all of our church planning plans have wigs. They're not real. It's not real. It's 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 hyperbole at best. And so because they move us at a pace to try to accomplish denominational network and and ego accomplishments that aren't founded in the gospel and in Christ, but they're founded in platform because platform runs the pace when we are supposed to let jesus give us the pace Mm -hmm. see the problem is we think we're the jockey and jesus is the horse no jesus Mm -hmm. is the horse and the jockey and we're watching and following him that's the difference and once we think we're the horse or the jockey we've 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 got out in front of jesus so pace Mm -hmm. take your time Take your time. You move too fast. You miss the intimacy with God. You miss when God is taking his time and doing it. Like you can't rush brisket. It'll just be nasty. You like you <laughs> let God do that church planting brisket on you. Mm-hmm. Work it mm-hmm. slow, that crock pot grease. Let him work it in. But yes. we want that fast food Big Mac church planting so we can have a quick accomplishment. And, you know, we lie on our numbers. We count roaches in how many people, <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. So pace, pace is vital. Oh. In it. Second is sustainability. I raised money and a lot of money and I had staff, but it was based on support raising constantly, which was burning me out. And then once you mm. speak to a topic that, for me, churches that will support me didn't like, they drop you. Sustainability is important because you can create a codependency on support raising and not internal. And in the inner city, Cherry Hill, New Jersey is three miles from Camden, New Jersey. Average income in Cherry Hill, New Jersey is like 108 per cap per family. Camden mm-hmm. is 21,000. below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. So when you compare those two, in order for me to do the crazy vision that I had for church planting, I had to raise a lot of money Mm -hmm. that maybe wouldn't be matched by my members for 20 years or never. Pace is important and sustainability hopes on 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 the front side for the backside is important. Team, you have to go in with the team. Mm-hmm. No Rambos in the gospel. Go in with the team. Every time you look up, Paul is with Silas or Barnabas. Even when him and Mark broke up, he called him back. He was always rolling with somebody, period. And when you think team, I want you to think sentence. You know, a lot of cats plant, particularly in the urban context, because sometimes their church ain't for it, or they have a hard time finding somebody, and sometimes they just rebels, and they don't submit to nobody. So... Sentness, being sent by a church, Paul was sent by his church. 
He just didn't win. He was sent. And that's valid and important. You need a home church. And then bask in the joy of salvation stories and baptisms. Mm -hmm. Don't let that go past as just social media posts. I used to just sit and look at them things and just like waiting for the cake to come out of the oven joy when I was four or waiting <laughs> to lick the beaters when my mother was making cake. I would be waiting to drink to eat that cake, to eat to lick them beaters, that cake, that batter. Too many church planners see baptism as a means of explaining their success and not a means of savoring the savior who mm -hmm. saved them and used our broken selves to do it. Mm -hmm. Sit and soak up the salvation that the Lord works on people. Do not use it as a tagline for your blog, mm -hmm. but enjoy it. It's beautiful. It's the sustaining reality and the reminder of why we're here. My last one is leadership development. Ministry is designed to be a movement, not a monument. Don't get fixated on having the perfect church. Get fixated on preaching the perfect savior. And when we do that, we'll have a bunch of imperfect people worshiping a perfect savior that we're going to need more leaders and more churches for. But if we try to perfect the, 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 the one monument, well, in many ways, we can slip right into idolatry of building this so-called monument masterpiece and not create a movement, um, which is our mission. We want to get around. And so those are the things. Pay sustainability team, salvation stories, and leadership development. Those are the takeaways that made me the most happy when I look back. And those are the takeaways that shaped me from my arrogance and my pressurized false pace. When I look back, I think of salvation and the many men that I was able to develop, disciple, ordain, and send. Doug, your comment <laughs> about the roaches was, yeah, I'll remember that probably for the rest of my life. I, I remember when <laughs> I was planning my first church, and I was just, I was wanting it to grow, you know, probably because it was a reflection on me. I don't think it was overly spiritual. It was way too worldly. I just wanted this thing to grow. I wanted to be successful. And I remember one Sunday morning or maybe even Sunday evening, the custodian was there doing some work and he walked in the gym while I was speaking. And I just in my mind went, bam, that counts. That's, I'm adding into the numbers. We're growing. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. I count the guy breaking into the church. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, so in a podcast for the Gospel Coalition that I listened to, not actually not too long ago, but I think it was recorded a couple of years past, you discuss planting in hard places. Can you elaborate what you mean for our audience? Ms. McConnell, who pastors in the schemes in Edinburgh, Scotland, man, listen, the cat is, um, schemes is not a diabolical plan. It's called, in America, the equivalent is the projects. And in light of that, man, he wrote a book called Church in Hard Places because the word urban ministry doesn't translate um, um, globally. And so, right. so our definition of hard place is, for an American context, is inner city. Um, we use, I use inner city synonymous with urban, which is the more densely populated 
um, and the central understanding of those communities is that they are older areas of the city, higher than usual poverty, multi-generational poverty, high concentration of violence and crime um, in comparison to the other parts of the city, often unreached, often undesirable, often unfunded, lack of training, lack of team willing to go because of the fear of death, uh, close to impossible to raise children and send them to school, dangerous, um, and everything that comes with poverty, violence, single parent homes, homelessness, prostitution, gang violence, drugs, armed robbery, inadequate school system, even some environmental problems like asthma, and then in the case of Camden, we had rusty water that was poisonous. And in and same as in Flint, they had cancer laced water where the city knew that they had it. And they continued to let it go to the inner city that people are sick and dying right now from that level of neglect. That's what makes it a hard place. Nobody wants to go because mm -hmm. the, it's imminent that the reality of the depravity is just louder seemingly. It's not loud, it's not necessarily different than uns, you know, other places in the world or in the city. It's just louder there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's sin is can be quieter in nicer places. That's right. But it's still present. Yeah. In a in a in addition to you know your work with um, Epiphany Fellowship, and uh, know you've uh, helped start or started Grimke Seminary as well. You've you've taken on a pretty active, and I mean, I guess the the church in hard places dynamic. What you're doing is all under Acts 29 is kind of uh, covering at this point. Tell us just a little bit about your your role with Acts 29, how you got connected with them uh, as well. I actually we've looked into it even here, kind of looking at partnering with alongside you know my affiliation with the pca in connection with them even looking at some partnership and relationship with them come on here. come on brother we, we, <laughs> love, we love to have you we love yeah. to have you guess who's coming to dinner come yeah. on in <laughs> and, well, I, I love um, to, yeah i'd love to say a little bit about that role and what you do with that and how it works love to hear about it so i came in primarily in 2018 as the architect along with Ms. mcconnell to build out for me it was the american arm of church and hard places and he did the global. Well, after a couple of years, I transitioned to vice president of advancement, um, where we then redirected how we did global US ministry. And so I then became the director of the vice president of advancement over US. And so Mez calls the, the, the church and hard places in on a global scale, still church and hard places. Of course, that's the name of his book. I call the one in America Acts 29 Urban. It's the same thing. It's the same thing that we built together back in 2017 and 2018. So, so now I've, I've um, brought on a team member for me in, um, from Detroit, Tyler St. Clair, um, great pastor, great writer, just a big, great thinker. Um, so he runs, he is the director for, Act, the coordinator for Acts 29 Urban. And so that role of advancement expanded. Um, but let me clear on urban. So urban is the same as church in our places. We basically changed the name and changed the geographic focus primarily to the United States, which then I needed to facilitate 
the vision to accomplish what Church in Our Places set out to do in 2017 and what we ran into was all those things I talk about with hard places, nobody, there's almost no seminaries that are having an immersive in-context program to train dudes for the hood. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know how to do nothing in the hood because of contextualization, you haven't been trained in contextualization. Sure, you know Bobbing, but do you know Bobbing for the block? Sure, you know <laughs> Calvin, but do you know Calvin for the corner? And so, cats, we've got to be, and, and we shouldn't have to beat a Rosetta Stone to go to a Eurocentric school and then yeah. translate all that to the hood. I could just stay home and do, and just read books and go to the block. So I wanted mm-hmm. to create an all-nation school that Pente Te Ethne, so, so Grimke is, um, has an emphasis on practical theology, theologically driven, gospel-centered theology, but we are going to specialize in telling dudes what, how to do it. In other words, when you think of schools, I want you to think, I'll pick on them. I love them. Westminster. We're more like Westminster Tech. <laughs> 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 See, they'll teach you how to write a book about building cars and we'll actually give you wrenches and send you home <laughs> in light of that that's what we wanted to build to facilitate that so i started we started grimkey along with my team at my church and tony marita jumped in early dr Dwayne vaughn from charlotte jumped in early act 29 all our brothers we just got together built it out went with it and then we formed the school of urban ministry so with the School of Urban Ministry, um, we didn't want, I didn't want to do an all urban thing because I'm complaining that the reformed conservative evangelical schools in America, they did an all suburban thing. Yeah. So I can't complain about them and then become what I hate. Yeah. So I wanted to do an all nations and I want to include all neighborhoods. So Matthew 28 said, do all nations. Acts 1-8 said, do all regions. So that's all nations and all neighborhoods, and that includes the hood in which I'm from. So now we wanted to form a place to facilitate what Act 29 was trying to do with Act 29 Urban. So we formed Grimkey Urban along with Grimkey General that allows now for a accessible, affordable, achievable degree so that these places that we want to see reached, particularly in the inner city, cats ain't saying, I don't want to go, I don't know. or They wind up going to on a scholarship to a reformed conservative seminary. And then the Beverly Hills church offers them a big salary. Ain't coming back to the block for that. They're going to go out there and get that check. Some of them are. I'm just generalizing. I'm painting with a roller, not even a broad brush. So don't tweet me. But um, (laughs) yeah, but in light of that, a (laughs) a lot of cats get, that's the thing. And then when they come back, it takes two years for them to learn the Rosetta Stone language to communicate what they learned mm-hmm. in our model back to the block, in our current educational model. Yeah. So I, we wanted to create something so we could really get dudes who are on the ground more effective for sustainable, for more sustainable to create a movement not just survive church planning. Last thing we want in Acts 29 and for Grimke is church planning like a like the TV show Survivor. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. We want to see churches planted for our great grandkids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And the only way to do that, we have to train them, educate them, and coach them. That's what Paul did. Tyrannus Hall, missionary journeys, and the letters. Mm -hmm. He trained them. He coached them. So orthodoxy, he taught them the Bible. Orthopraxy, they went on journeys with them. And then a marriage of the orthopraxy to orthodoxy was his letters that he sent to him as he coached him to marry the two together, man. And so mm-hmm. that's what I want so much for Acts 29 and, and um, Grimkey to be is a sweet marriage of education and mission so that we can get more people in the inner city who aren't just, some of them are scared to go and some of them don't wanna go because they, they don't know what to do when they get there. Yeah. They are like me. They have a lot of passion, but no plan. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be able to give those guys with a passion some wrenches to build out this this urban metroplex that would, by God's grace, produce more pastors. Remember, more churches means more converts. More converts mean less people going to hell. More converts means more opportunities for more leaders to plant more churches so we can give the devil a fit and kick him in his back while more people come to Christ, while more people experience Mm -hmm. the saving power of the resurrected Lord. That's Mm -hmm. what it means for me. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I just don't think that that should require you to get a pay for a degree that costs more than your house. That don't make sense to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I hear criticism about my, well, you know, Grimke is cheap. So because it's affordable, it makes it weak. How about, you know, I'm, I'm just an old city hood kid. If it tastes good and it's affordable, that's called a win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So if it tastes good and it's cheap, not don't eat it. That don't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's all. If I want people on the ground, well, then I'm going to take the sacrifice of affordability. Because why? It should. If it's expensive and you can afford it, go. But what about those who can't? And often those who can't are in my communities mm-hmm. in the inner cities. And mm-hmm. so now the overall landscape of networks, denominations, you know the highest neglect is to the inner cities. Yeah. And I wanna do something about that. And I'm praying that other schools get spurred and inspired to say, hey man, we could do some of that too. That sounds like Matthew 28 and Acts 1-8, the mm-hmm. great commission and the great witness. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should do some of that. And if that is the more the merrier, man. Yeah. I don't care about competition. I'm, I don't. I'm not into seminary to make money. I want pastors because pastors and good churches, gospels in the churches equal converts, and mm-hmm. converts equals the reduced number of hellions, and yeah. heaven's population getting more crowded. That's yeah. all I want. <laughs> yeah. And that's more than I should have said. So y'all forgive me. That's the last word for now. Thanks to you for joining us and listening today. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at reformedplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.